welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. I am your colleague in medicine and coach in life, Dr. Aaron Wiseman, and I am so excited to share this next episode with you because my whole MO is to help you move from a place of burnout, a place of brokenness, a place of despair to a life and work that is joy-filled, sustainable, and that you absolutely freaking love. So I'm just so pumped to bring you this episode about negotiation and money with Dr. Linda Street. Guys, we drop some major bombs in this one, so be listening. We talk about burning your contract. We talk about Madonna's jeans. We talk about Batna's. We talk about that there is enough for everyone to go around. And if together we collectively start asking for our value in the marketplace, female physicians will finally start to bridge that pay gap. So check out this amazing episode and stick around afterwards for that kick of encouragement. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Linda Street. It's so nice to have you on Dr. Me First. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. All right. Tell our wonderful audience all about your fabulous self. Yeah, so it's been a circuitous pathway. So by day, I'm a maternal fetal medicine subspecialist. So I did all my training kind of in the Southeast. I'm a Georgia Bulldog. Then did residency in South Carolina and fellowship up at Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I'm actually fairly fresh out of fellowship, so I've been out about three and a half years. My first job was in academic medicine and was an interesting experience. So um, when you say interesting, are you like, (laughs) is that a good interesting or is that a like shit-tastic interesting? It was a learning opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Way to keep it PC. A learning opportunity. Um, so I am currently actually writing out a non-compete, so I'm not working. Mm, girl, I'm in there. <laughs> Which actually will come full circle into why I care about my word. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Man, those non-competes. So at the end of my non-compete, I had a non-compete party and I burned my contract. Oh, I highly suggest it. Highly okay, suggest June 30th. So, you come? so yes, I will definitely come. It's so liberating. That because those non-competes, they do feel like handcuffs, which is an excellent segue into your word, which right. is negotiation. So smack us upside the head with what you've got to tell us with negotiation. Right. So actually, I learned a lot about negotiation through my learning opportunity job. We're going to call it that. So I actually took my job, my first year of fellowship I signed, and it's a three-year fellowship. So I signed like two years before I was ever even going to show up. There's a fair shortage of maternal fetal medicine specialists. I live in Augusta, Georgia. It is not the most exciting place in the world to be. So recruitment is tricky. And um, my husband has some local ties to here. So that was why we chose here. So I signed it really early in advance. And when you've gotten through five years of training and you've been living off of $55,000 for a year for the last five years, you're like, oh my God, this looks like so much money. Can I just tell you, our whole audience is like shaking their head right now because we're all like, yes, yes, girl, 
Right, right. And I mean, and I'm a fairly well-paid stuff specialist, so it was a lot of money. It was just a lot less money than my male partner was making. Mm. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. So it looked like a lot of money. I had, my husband's a hairdresser and I was trying to save money because we had two little kids. I took out loans to pay for daycare in my seven year jaunt through post-grad years. So I was trying to save money. So one of his customers is actually like an international business lawyer. So she looked at my medical contract, says, hey, this looks good. And we called it a day and I signed it. I didn't realize that kind of like doctors, lawyers are very different kinds. And so that was not my best move. So long story short, I learned a lot over the next couple of years about negotiation. One of the things being the non-compete, but in another being just kind of pay. So I've always been like a mini feminist, grown up into a grown up fem feminist. I actually, it's funny, when I first got into medicine, my grandfather was the one who inspired a little bit of a kick in my ass. I told him, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. And his response to me was, you're a girl, you can't go to medical school famous last words. He got the mm -hmm. first invitation to my white coat ceremony and actually came. It was super fun. So I've kind of chronically been a feminist. And as I got into my job, I worked for the state. So all of the salaries are on the internet. So they're all like totally out there for everybody to see. And my partner was making a lot more than just what the 10 year difference was more than I was. So he was making like $150,000 a year more than I was. And he had seniority and had a leadership role. So some of that was completely legit. And he was like the most phenomenal partner ever. So nothing against him. But some of that was me being young and naive and just signing a contract. And some of it was probably a little bit of a gender differential. Because if you, you can like make the spreadsheet sort, you know how you like push the little factor it out. Yep. yep. And you have to go through 62 people when I did this the first time to get to a woman. Whoa. So there were like 61 men making more money than any woman. And so that was like a major brain, like what kind of moment for me. Um, so clearly I was not alone in this process is kind of what the light bulb went off there. So I decided about a year and a half into that job that this was not okay. And so I went and got another job offer and came back and said, if you want to keep me, you're going to have to pay me better. So I was able to negotiate a $65,000 raise, which was like major moving heaven and earth, it felt like in academics. And part of how I was able to do that was I was in coaching at the time. So I was in a coaching program for weight loss, which, eh, you know, I'm still working the weight loss struggle, but I found that it made such an impact on how I viewed the entire negotiation process. So I was able to shift kind of from me versus him to it, it benefits them to keep me too, right? Because I'm hard to recruit. There aren't very many of us. You're a woman in, in your specialty, Georgia. which is I'm a huge. woman in my specialty, right? And I'm in Augusta, Georgia. And um, at the time, I was the only provider in my or provider provider is an ugly word. Only physician, damn it, in my um, subspecialty that was under the age of sixty. Whoa! So that certainly was a major component. So I found that the coaching really helped me shift my perspective to be able to negotiate that big raise. Yes. I thought money was the problem. And so when I fixed money, the job didn't magically get better, which was what I thought was going to happen. I was like, I'm going to love my job when I'm making an extra $5,000 a month. And nope. So um, 
I ended up about a year later deciding to leave and I left June 30th. And that was when I learned the hard lesson of non-compete. So currently I am doing locums to kind of keep my skill set up and I'm working on my coaching business to have something to kind of put value out into the universe because as a type A human being, like sitting around in sweatpants all day watching Netflix was never a choice. That was never an option. It's a good way to go straight to crazy land for me. And so it's been interesting. Yeah. How long is your non-compete? Coming one years. Year. So it's is not it bad. Year? It's one okay. year and 30 That's miles. good. Yeah. Ooh, so, yours was better than mine. Mine so, was one year and 70 miles. So dang. yikes. Yeah. Yeah. But I got them because I switched specialties. That's how I did it. That's how I got out of mine. But nice. I love that you're doing the locums. And of course, I love that the coaching goes along with it. What would you say about your like pre-coach self to the difference that you see now with your coached self? Right. I mean, I think pre-coach self, especially in pertinence to negotiation, thought that there always had to be a winner and a loser, right? So she was convinced that in order for me to have money, someone else is losing money. And in order for me to get a fair deal, somebody else is getting a crap deal. And so things seemed very limited and scarce for her. And I think post-coaching me is kind of like, there's plenty. Like there's plenty for everybody. Like we don't need to squabble and get all antsy about like $10,000. There's plenty of money. And I think really just seeing money as an exchange for value has been like such a giant shift for me because it's a lot easier to ask for money when you feel like there's a real value exchange there Absolutely. versus before you're looking at the contract and you're like, oh, they're offering me this amount of money. This is the X percentile. Like oh, I guess I'm new and I'm young. And so I should get less than the 50th percentile. So maybe the 12th percentile is pretty good. So you sign a contract. Oh, those money stories we tell ourselves. I know all these things versus now I'm like, I'm providing amazing value and I'm really good at it. And I'm a girl and there aren't enough of me and you're going to have to pay for that. Exactly. I was just having a conversation with another one of our colleagues on a coaching call last night and she had been empowered to go talk to her boss about getting a raise. Like she's been there three years. It's like it's fucking time. And they threw back to her. Why do you think you need this? And she was really struggling when I told her, I said, what's your inherent value that you give to your employer? Right. And she's like, well, I don't know. And I'm like, we got a lot of work to do around this. And we all do. Right. I mean, we all show up with that deflated value that's sometimes in the marketplace. We're like, well, you know, we're new or we're not as experienced or we're not seeing as many patients or going to the OR. And it's right. like, that's bullshit. You bring inherent value. And I always use the story about the uh, thrift shop pair of jeans. Like you go to the thrift shop and you're just looking for a good deal. And you pick up these pair of jeans and you're like, oh, eh, they're okay. They might fit. Yeah, they're like a dollar. Same pair of jeans, looks the same, I mean, from the 80s. And if it was on Madonna's ass, you better believe you are paying tens of thousands of dollars for that same pair of jeans. It's all about the inherent value. Right. Of what that is and what we are. We are not thrift pair jeans. We are no, we Madonna are ass Madonna's jeans. butt. <laughs> yes. Right. We are the right. wedgie jeans. That is right. 
Right. Exactly. And so tell me, because of your own journey, how are you helping others in their negotiation journey? Right. And I think some of it's really attacking some of those thoughts that you mentioned. And um, I actually did an informal poll. And one of the most common things that comes up for people is that fear of being perceived as being greedy, right? Like if I ask for money, they're going to think I'm greedy or this kind of conflict between altruism and compensation. Like I can't be a good doctor who is paid well and if without like some type of inherent conflict, mm. which is such an, it's, it's a belief that serves the CEOs. Yeah, they have no problem making $12 million a year off your work, but it doesn't help anybody. And if you think about it, if you're being well compensated and you feel valued from that, you're showing up as a better doctor. Like you are giving to your patients better if you're feeling valued and kind of thinking like, okay, I'm somewhere where they value what I'm offering and they show up that way. And so when you're being fairly compensated, you're showing up for your work better. So why wouldn't you take better care of your patients? Yeah. And there's actually some studies that show that too, that especially in female physicians, um, when we know that we're being adequately compensated and there's full disclosure among all physicians in the group, male and female across all specialties, there's actually a higher work satisfaction because it's fully disclosed and we all know what everybody gets and it's appropriate. Right. That sense of I'm, I'm making a difference and people see that. Like they see that I'm doing a good job. They see that I'm taking good care of patients and they feel like I should be paid for that. And, and it also shows on retainment rates too. Like you will right. stay where you are valued. Absolutely. I mean, that's a hundred percent why I left my last job was feeling unvalued. Um, actually not from a financial standpoint. I think I was getting paid just fine, but there were other things that made me feel like I wasn't being valued mm-hmm. and it's expensive to replace physicians. Oh, yes, it is. We're talking in the utmost, the higher six figures, million dollar ranges. Yes. Yeah. Um, when that data came out, not, not too long ago, a couple months ago, earlier this year, I was like, why on earth would you not just spend a little bit of money to keep people happy instead of being hardlined on raises and promotions and things. You know, like I've that. talked to a lot of people in the C-suite here in Indiana about that exact same thing. And, you know, I specifically talk about wellness and well-being. And I said, why are you not spending $10,000 to take care of all your doctors? Because the cost ratio, your ROI is going to be so much better if I help with your retainment. And so that's where we have to fight back is we have to show the numbers and that sort of thing. And I love that's what you're doing. So how are you most helping our colleagues right now when it comes to this topic? So a lot of it's just kind of providing some information on shifting mindset. Sometimes you have to be a little sneaky about how you throw that in because if you're like, I'm going to change your thoughts and then you're going to get lots of extra money. People are like, and you've been smoking in Colorado. So I think a lot of it has to be offering it in a way that's palatable to them. So I do a lot of also um, helping with techniques and things. My favorite book is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. He is absolutely amazing at really breaking it down in a way that makes sense. I've read several gazillion, I feel like at this point, negotiation books, and a lot of them get kind of dry and textbooky and he just throws it at you. I mean, he's negotiating for hostage. You can't be like, I'll take one and not that one, (laughs) right? I'll compromise in the middle. You can keep her. I'll take him. 
I mean, you can't do that with hostages. And so his book was really defining for me as far as negotiation processes, but just like little techniques in there that are really, it's kind of like reverse mindset almost. It's helping to shift their mindset a little bit and how they see it, like offering those different perspectives and then applying it to yourself as well are really great ways to not only change your perspective, but also, like you said, uh, getting to them where they're seeing it. So going to the C-suite and saying, hey, why wouldn't you spend $10,000 to not spend a million to retain this cardiologist? Or why wouldn't you exchange this for that? Like, it's a no-brainer. If you hand me a $100 bill and say, I'll give you this if you give me a 10, I'm going to be pulling out my wallet, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you can help them to show their employers that, look, this is the value I'm bringing. This is what we can do together, but this is what I need in exchange and kind of shifting from a, I need this much money to a, this is how we can work together to move this forward and we can both benefit really helps push the conversation forward. And in a way that feels in integrity with who you are. Mm, That's the important thing because as women, many of us shy from the conversation because it feels out of our integrity and it it feels slimy and just not good. But I love your approach of keeping it in the middle of our being and who we are. And I think that's really important to define like who we show up as and do that work for ourselves. So we know so that when we go into a negotiation, we can stay in the middle of that. I do the same thing with some of my clients as well and teaching them strategies too when it starts to get outside of your integrity you know when to take pauses being in charge of the meeting and when you know and also to having your batna when it's time to walk away right and that's super important now that you bring it up we should probably define it for people we should we should Um, we're like batnas and they're like huh um so best alternative to a negotiated agreement so another fun one is zopa which is zone of possible or potential depends on who you look at agreement And um, that's the range between your bottom line and their upper limit. Um, But yeah, I mean, knowing what your parameters are before you go into the negotiation is super important because otherwise you don't even know where they're railroading you to. So you have to know, okay, if they won't do this, this is my plan. Exactly. And setting those boundary markers. I think it's important to know like what your must-haves are, what your nice-to-haves are, and then that stuff in the middle. You have to have those markers set up. I tell people it's like a football field. You got to have those markers and you got to know when they're not going any further. That is it. They have hit the line. Right. And I always tell people they should have two numbers in mind. So one should be your absolute bottom line. If you cannot do this, I do not want this opportunity. And that's good to like make and tuck away. And then the other number is actually that like high expectation number. That's the holy shit number. Like if you get it, that's the holy shit number. It is the holy shit number. It's the like, this is what I would like. My mind would be blown if I got this number. And I usually tell people aim for, because if you tell people what's your holy shit number, they'll like give you something at like the 51st percentile and you're like, okay, come on. Exactly. You got to push. (laughs) It should feel a little bit like, ooh. Like if it's really comfortable, you're not pushing far enough. Exactly. And so I usually tell people, because if, if they're like, well, no, 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 I need a lot of guidance. I tell people like the 75th percentile, because that's a number that doesn't violate star clause. It's not like that one guy who sees like 6,000 patients in a month. It's a pretty solid upper limit kind of number. 
-hmm. And what's the harm of going for it? Right, right. So in Richard Shell, he's um, a negotiation professor out at Wharton Business School in Pennsylvania. He did an experiment and he describes another experiment that was similar. And I can't remember the exact details, so I'm probably paraphrasing it. If you actually look up the book, don't, don't come back and get me. But basically they had sets of people and one person had $10 and the other person had $0. And they told the person with no money, if you can get to at least this point, we'll double the money for you. So we'll, give you, we'll kick it in. So the first group, they told them 350. They're like, if you can get at least 350 from the person who has $10 by negotiating, we'll give you another 350, you get seven. And that seems pretty doable, right? Because it's less than half. The person who had the 10 to begin with still feels like they're winning a little bit. And those people on average got like 375, 380. So just a smidge above 350. They did the same thing with 650. And they were like, just get a little bit above average. So $1.50 on the other end. And you would think that they would fail more because they're asking for more than half. And we have all these like brain drama about that. They got on average like $8 because they had their minds set on this high number and they just went for it and were successful. So there's no reason to think the same thing wouldn't apply to your salary number. So I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you're picking a low number and saying, well, I need at least this. Because what do you think they're going to give you then? at least that. Yeah. They always, always go low. That's what I tell people too. When I'm working with a range, if you say like, well, I'd like to get somewhere between 250 and 300. Hell yeah. They're going to go for the 250. So instead you say, I would like to get something between 300 and 350. Yes, <laughs> yes. The bottom, the bottom number of your range should always be what you want because naturally if you're giving somebody who doesn't want to part with their money a range, they're going to pick the bottom end. Luckily, y'all are smarter than that, and you're going to put what you want on the bottom end. Yeah. Watch the magic happen. And that's, that's the great thing, too, is having a coach and saying those numbers out loud and then working through all that mind drama, all that ticker tape that starts right. to process when you start saying it out loud. I know that was one thing that I definitely did whenever I started doing um, physician ind independent um, contractor work because okay. like, like oh, that feels a little stretchy. But you know what? Now having done it for over a year, my rates are higher, and I'm so glad I started out high. Because right. it's grown exponentially from there. Well, that's a great point too with salaries. Like a lot of companies have, you can only get an X percent raise or whatever. And so whatever you start with is where that's calculated from. So if you limit yourself on the get-go, you're pretty much handicapping yourself every single step along the way as you renegotiate. Like you're making your job a lot harder. Not to be said, it can't be done. So for those of you out there who don't want to leave your job and need to renegotiate because you're looking at your paycheck now and sad a little inside, there's still hope for you. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a little bit less easy than if you already were just like way up there. Yeah, but there's techniques. You can do it. I'm so excited. I love money. I could talk money all damn day. You're going to have to come back on the podcast. But if other people are out there in the audience being like, hmm, I need some more of Dr. Street and her money and negotiation advice. Where can they go hang out with you? So I'm in two places on the web. One is on Facebook because I'm not, I'm like in that like exennial generation. So like we live on Facebook. So I'm on Facebook at negotiate her. So it's negotiate, but minus the E and with an H-E-R instead. And then my website is www.simplystreetmd.com. 
and it's just just like it sounds it's nice and easy to spell awesome and i will get that totally in the show notes for everyone so you can just go to the website and click on it because there is a lot of great information out there and we are in a great time to start renegotiating there are more and more studies coming out um, there's more and more data there's more and more transparency i mean i've seen a lot more coming out w- talking about salaries benefit packages what are you getting what am i getting all of that sort of information which needs to happen absolutely a hundred percent does right and i always look at it as one of those things where for each of us that we can kind of get over that hump we're pulling everybody else with us like the more we demand to be paid what we're worth, the more they're going to start paying that. It normalizes those values. But if everybody's, I feel like in OBGYN in particular, we're notorious for this. I can't tell you how many times I've just done like a bedside ultrasound real quick and I don't bill for it or document it. It's just, just for fun. And why do we do that? Nobody else does things just for fun. My lawyer doesn't say, oh, I'll just read that contract for fun for you. I'll charge you for the next one. Yeah. Your accountant just doesn't sit down and do your taxes on no, one spouse like, and not the other. I'll do schedule for free, but the rest of them I'm going to charge you for. Like yeah. nobody does that. And so we've got to stop undervaluing ourselves if we want to push the supply and demand kind of market towards where we want it to be. Absolutely. And a rising tide does raise all boats. And so I love the work that you're doing. I'm so glad that you're empowering us as female physicians to shake that money tree and bring home more bacon. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Street, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. What I tell you, wasn't that just such a good conversation? I am so proud of Dr. Street for being transparent, talking about her flub up with her first contract, how she renegotiated, but she found that her 65K really didn't fix things, that she needed to go through some shifts and some changes. I'm just so proud of her and supporting her through this non-compete, through the locums gig, and girl, when July rolls around, we are all going to be celebrating you because you have made it. It does not define you, and you are on your way to the job and the career of your dreams, where you feel that you are totally valued and that you can produce your best work. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It really was so excellent talking about that. And so let's get into this kick of encouragement now. I think it's so freaking important that we learn the lesson of asking for what we need. I don't know about you. I got a little bit in residency where they kind of talked about some contract negotiations. They brought in these business guys and their business suits and it sounded kind of all official. But when you step into the room to do those negotiations, when you're sending the emails to say, that's not going to work for me, nobody was there to coach me through it the first time around. And I think it's so important that we have each other's back in this. And so because I'm so passionate about it, as you can tell, because of the hard knock lessons that I have learned in each of my masterminds, I always talk about money. Always, always, always. Because I think it's so important that we recognize where we trip ourselves up when it comes to money. 
Was it something we learned as a little kid? Was it something we heard rounding as a medical student? Did we maybe get beat up a little bit in some negotiations before? Did we maybe get in some contracts that now whenever contract stuff comes up, we get triggered? So, so important to talk about money. Because here's the thing. It's not about being greedy. It's about when you are are reimbursed for the value that you bring, you pour more into your work. You have more fulfillment and also you have more monetary dollars to do good in the world, to help further the work that you're doing, to help further the families and the children that we are rearing into better futures. So when we break it down like that, it's not about getting that paycheck deposit. It's about so much more. And so I just encourage you, if you're interested in learning more about how to ask for what you need, I have a really short little ebook. It's a total freebie. I just took it off my website. So what you're going to need to do is drop me an email and I will send you the PDF directly. Yes, it's really me if you send an email to Wiseman at gmail.com. Promise. And it's so fun and I so appreciate your emails. So if this is something you want to know more of, hit me up. Go hit Dr. Street up. There's a lot of people talking about this and I'm so glad to be supporting it. If you want boots on the ground knowledge and really work through this, you need to jump in January's mastermind that's starting up. So, so important. And it's so important to do this work in a supported group that's a space that is not judgmental. We can all come to the table and talk about this and talk about it in a way where we are high income earners, but we can do better. Because I don't know about you, sometimes when I talk to some of my friends who have never earned six figures, and I'm talking about low six figures, they don't conceptualize why we need more. And so I want to do this from a totally non-judgmental place. So if you don't have a tribe yet, if you are not in a mastermind in 2020, you need to get your ass in the Dr. Me First mastermind. It's been so exciting planning for this. As I'm getting more people signed up, I just am so excited to get this going because I've done these the last several years, but this one this one feels like it's going to be bigger and better. So the link for that is going to be in the show notes as well. If you have any questions, same email address, hit me up with it. And remember folks, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.